All right, Daniel, it's taken 17 years, but finally we have the indication that the Glazers may be fucking the fuck off. It is a good day, is it not? We don't actually know. I mean, if, no. in theory, it should be one of the great days, but we don't know what we're going to get in their stead. And that is a problem because yep. the Glazers are not the worst owners in the Premier League. No, nope. there are some any, scumbags that are worse than them. No, for sure, far, far, far worse. There is, yeah, like there are some who, if they, if we get some kind of human rights abusing despot, yeah, for me, like that's it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Me, me and United are done. Um, uh, well, no, it's true. I mean, when when United were being linked with a Saudi takeover some time ago, I mean, I think Paul and I talked about that on air. Uh, you know, how can you? It's hard to support a club with that kind of ownership and that kind of project. So we will see what we get. If we take Chelsea as a benchmark, first, first, I'm making the assumption they're looking at a full sale rather than a kind of some kind of quote-unquote strategic investment. I, and I'm making that assumption because I don't think there are too many people who do that for a minority rights B-class looks- shares, right? They can, people can go buy those shares right now and they're worthless and they never grow. And so why would anyone do that? And it also looked like from the wording, it looked like they were a full sale. Like they have to put the, it felt like they have to put the other options there because they have to put them there. Yeah. But yeah, they, no, no one's going, no one wants, it's not even just what you said about the big car shares, that why would you want to buy shares in a failing football club? Yeah. Whose that owners grow. are responsible for it failing, who yeah. will be continually stopping you from allowing that asset to appreciate in the way that it should. Or right. if it's just an ego trip for you to win shit and feel good about yourself, it just yeah, it, may, yeah. it would it makes no sense. Not well, they had to put all the options because. on the table for sure. Yeah, one one because they just juice the share price by four hundred million pounds, and if they then don't actually sell the club, the SEC would have a few questions about them using the media to to bump up their asset price. Ask Elon Musk about whether the the SEC is serious about that kind of thing. So, yeah, they definitely have to put the all the options on the table, but I fully agree with you. It's, this is a full sale. They've appointed Rain, who did the Chelsea sale, Rothschild are the personal bankers for the Glazers. How much can they extract from it, basically? And they'll be looking at a sale. And Chelsea does give us a benchmark. One, there were more than 20 interested parties uh, looking at Chelsea. The sale price, $2.5 billion, gives us a benchmark as well. United should go for well above that. I mean, I know in various media outlets, they quote the four billion plus but th- those were kind of loose loose agreements with Abramovich to invest in squad and stadium I don't know how like I don't know how you could execute on that like if if Bowley and co said hey we're not gonna we're not actually not gonna buy a new st- build a new stadium what's Abramovich gonna do nothing right Excuse so the sale me? price was two and a half two and a half billion United sale price price will be double that probably minus the debt right so Four and a half to five, I would guess, is a reasonable. That's quite a premium over the public, the public market cap. So who, could take a yeah. while, though. Yeah, but it, I mean, but who has that kind of money? Yeah, well, twenty interested groups. Many of them are so. Well, quite a few of those groups were private equity plus sports owners, American sports owners who would probably be able to raise that kind of money from private equity. So yeah, just like Silver Lake invested in Manchester City Group at a valuation of above three billion pounds. So there is that kind of money if there's a consortium. Otherwise, you're looking at 
a small collection of billionaires, of which American tech billionaires have never shown an interest in owning sports clubs until they got out of that business. If you think about like Steve Barmer and people like that, I think he owns the Clippers now. Basketball team, I don't really want to Not the basketball. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. I mean, I, I'm thinking, I guess, a lot of those songs. <laughs> yeah, he owns, he owns the lighters and the Rizzlers. <laughs> and he's toking, and that's what he's doing with his Microsoft billions. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be a great story, wouldn't it? So, anyway, just to say, I think it's very unlikely that, like, Elon Musk will be throwing his hat into the ring, although he did profess to be a United fan. And then there's, like, overseas, and overseas is, like, um, yeah, obviously, there's quite a number of billionaires in India and China and other parts of the world. That could be a possibility. I, I, I couldn't, I'll give you an obvious name there. I don't think it would be China. And then there's state. And you state, you look at basically look at which despotic regime doesn't have a football club and that's, might want to get into the game. That's it. And wh- 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 where is there now? Where, where is there? Bahrain, Paris, Dubai. So as a part of John, have they still got Atletico? Are they part owners in Atletico? I don't think. I mean, they had that. They were Azerbaijan land of fires for a bit. Right, sure. Right. Like, I think there was some kind of financial interest, but I guess probably not significant enough one, such as to stop them buying United if the move took them. <sighs> Joy. Yeah. I mean, Dubai, like compared to Abu Dhabi, doesn't have the natural resources, so it isn't quite as wealthy. So I don't know whether the Emirati there would be interested in a club. Bahrain doesn't have a club. Could be. They've been into sports recently with F1 and so on. So. That's not sport. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's mechanics, right? Yeah, yeah. It's that's, like calling that's dance a sport. Yeah, it's an A-level. <laughs> I, who, if, I was thinking about, is J.K. Rowling the world's greatest billionaire? Which is such an appalling thing to say. I don't know. I'd define greatest. <laughs> well, she sort of became appalling after she became a billionaire. She did Yes. Like, I mean, she did sort of, she does sort of peddle this idealised version of the British class system Yep. through Hogwarts, which is yep. a little bit sinister, but relative to other billionaires. I don't know, she's what? pretty awful. <laughs> no, of course. She, <laughs> we're not debating her awfulness here. We're debating her, her relative awfulness. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, which kind of awfulness would you like? Would you like billionaire, dickhead, tech bro, private Muscles, equity, sports Trying to owner, live until 270 years old, that kind of also. That, that type of thing. <laughs> or Musk, who's uh, basically a right-wing troll. Profiting dubious, off slave labour. With du- dubious links to, well, yeah, both s- slave labour and apartheid, right? So lovely, very nice. Or, or some kind of state-adjacent wealth it, yeah there's not the collection of people who might buy united is not awesome i what? mean if i was going to bet on it given that the americans are glazers and have good links into the, the american sports scene i would bet on a consortium approach of some kind of u.s sports club owner with private equity backing I would we don't want the that, most do likely we? approach so we don't want that though do we we don't want that is because, that better, I mean, unless that better you get a good version is that better right? or worse than status quo I think it's better if they're competent, right? So, like, what's the difference between FSG, who own Liverpool, and the Glazers, who own United? It's just competence. It's I know they want the same thing. It is it's a little bit of confident competence, but it's also levels of debt. Yes, that we were saddled with the Glazers' levels of debt, which I think they're in the process of making not allowed. But 
whoever buys United is not going to be doing that. They're not going to be. They're not going to be basically bought by JP Morgan, presumably, and paying kind notes and all the rest of it. No, no, I don't think so. So um, you think that's more likely than else? I mean, can Ratcliffe pull out five billion pounds? I mean, he could if he liquidated his entire fortune, basically. So, <laughs> and and even then, I don't think. I mean, his his approach for Chelsea and the uh, late approach for Chelsea. I, I mean, it felt like he was phoning that one in because it didn't feel very like strategic. He didn't play the. I mean, he did an interview recently in which he professed an interest, although he has said quite strongly before it makes no sense. So he would be doing this not from a business sense. I think he thinks there's more value in football in like in getting a small club and trying to build them up using data. He'd be doing this purely for legacy. Yeah. But I'm all right, man. What a fucking legacy that would be. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, look, (laughs) if I can find six billion down the... the, Yeah, if I could find six billion down the back of my sofa and that was the only six billion I had, I would be spunking that on United. A hundred percent. Like, because that's what I think about. Like, when I remember when I was a kid thinking if ever I made, like, loads of money, the first thing I would do would immediately be buy United. Yeah. And, but then something I would never do would be express an interest in buying Chelsea. Yes. The fact that he did. He did do that, yeah. I mean, and maybe money changes you. I mean, Jonathan Goldstein, who is involved in with Todd Bowley, is a Tottenham fan. Yeah. What on earth are you doing? He's just doing it for business, I think. I think. I don't. Yes. I actually don't think it's just business. I think it's probably some kind of hobby. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I, I, my agent once said to me, called me, so an old agent of mine, and said, "I've got an idea for a book." Would you spend a year following City around and then write about that? And I said, no. <laughs> and then I communicated this conversation to my then-girlfriend, now wife. And she said, why, why did you say no? And I said, because I'm not doing it. So no seemed like the obvious answer. And she said, but why wouldn't you do it? You know, you've got to build your career. You've got money for us, our family, blah, blah, blah. And I said, because I would just despise myself every second of every day, even more than I already do. And this is not good for me. Yep. And then she said, well, no, but you should be willing to sacrifice. And I said, (laughs) that's quite a sacrifice. I said, I've had an idea. How about I get a new girlfriend for a year. I'm right about that. <laughs> and try that out. <laughs> yeah. And we agreed that this would not be a good idea and therefore this other thing would also not be a good idea. But what I'm saying is that, yeah, someone that expressed an interest in buying Chelsea doesn't sound very much like someone who would find five billion, five billion nid to buy United. Down the back of the sofa, yeah. I mean, it was a strange bid for Chelsea in that he did. He wasn't part of the 20, group of 21 who expressed their interest by the formal deadline to the rain group. The rain group are the same bankers organizing the yeah, United yeah. sale. And and he came at the last moment and he almost used it as a PR exercise. So it was really odd. And given that, I mean, rain will have very different instructions now, right? For Abramovich, it was fine to buy it. It's, it's a rush. And Abramovich was thinking about legacy in some fashion, right? It doesn't seem to be he was thinking about getting the biggest price possible, Although, to go off on a tangent, we don't know where that money has gone. <laughs> no one can tell you where that money has gone. It was supposed to be going to feed starving Ukrainian children or something. But well, where no, has no, it gone? It was, it was very carefully worded, it was that, that statement. 
Yeah, I'm betting it's in crypto somewhere on some dodgy exchange. Just a random guess. Anyway, so the Glazers will clearly be trying to sell for the biggest possible price. Well, Chelsea that is also the thing here. And, yeah, yeah. There's, no, and, and, there's no strategy for, for making United better. No, if no, no. someone disgraceful offers the most money, they'll take that. Yeah, if it's the worst kind of Nazi-loving baby eater and they've got the cash, that's where United will be sold, right? And maybe Ratcliffe is that person. But to come back to Chelsea, it seemed just a very strange way of doing it, like it was half-hearted. I'm not sure. It was like his ego said, I should be involved in this. But or the is business anything, didn't approach it properly. So. Or is there anything that he was doing it to see the lay of the land with regard to buying United? Just because the reason yeah, why maybe. I say that is because the, the the notion that the Glazers were ready to sell is not a new one. And the fact that we now know that they're ready to sell because they said so, they've clearly been talking about it for quite some time yep. before that. And if you're someone who's expressed an interest and has the money, you must know that that is on the cards. Yes, yeah. Well, it, it seemed clear from the interview that Ratcliffe gave to the BBC not long ago that they'd actually been in talks. And I don't know whether he knows the Glazers personally, because billionaires hang out on yachts or whatever, but it seemed like he'd been given the indication that they weren't ready to sell at that point. But look, from the moment the leverage buyout took place in May 2005, United were for sale. They've always been for sale, because that's what you do when you have a leverage buyout. You use someone else's money to appreciate the asset price. And at the point you think you can't appreciate it, it anymore, you sell. And the whole battle for around the debt and green and gold and the pick loans to the conversion to the bonds was won by the Glazers when they IPO'd. That was the point they had full control and no one could do anything about it. And at that point, it was public and it was always then about the price. And the thing I would say is that the stupidity of the Glazers from a business point of view is that their mismanagement of the club means that asset price hasn't appreciated. It's only above the IPO price today because it's jumped 20% on news of them being sold, the club well, being up for sale. Right? Otherwise, they'd also, have lost money. They'd set fire to money all this time. Because, presumably, that's the thing, is that people assume often that people who are rich have a really good businessman. And sometimes it's not like that. And even Quite clearly. Glazers, yeah, one of the things, like they, they, perhaps one of the reasons they're selling is they want the liquidity because they've got a lot of shopping malls and people don't really go to those anymore. People just buy shit on the internet. Yep. And feels like that's another thing they didn't see coming in the same way that they definitely thought that they'd have sold individual TV rights by now. Yep. But they didn't see the no to that coming. And the same way they were involved in the Super League. Basically, the only things that they've done that have made money for United is just things that have come straight out of our US sport, just sponsoring everything. Sponsoring the training gear, sponsoring the seats, like the number, the noodle pond, Mr. Fucking Potato Head. Yep. Like yep. That kind, like there's no, there's no innovation. There's no, no, that was their only innovation and everyone else copied it very quickly because there was no moat to use the Silicon Valley language around that business model, right? That's the only thing they did, and everyone else could do the same thing too. But every other part of the growth, ticket price hikes and TV rights, they had nothing to do with that. Nothing and, at all. And the things, uh, and I mean, Arsenal actually got caught really badly like that. That when they when when they sold the ground to Emirates, they sold everything to Emirates. Yeah. So they just had to sit there watching everyone else sign yes, deals yes, with that's right. Turkish Airways and Arse scratches and whatever, and they could do nothing about it. And 
they ended up Arsenal in like a really ridiculous situation where they swapped Highbury, one of the greatest football grounds that ever was, for an absolute crock of plastic shit for nothing. Yeah. Like they've had absolutely really nothing out of the Emirates because very quickly after the Emirates, the thing that they the thing that they didn't see coming that they couldn't really have seen coming was oligarchs and nation states. That yes. basically meant that your bums on seats don't really mean shit anymore. Yeah, yeah. The thing that they should have seen coming was the TV boom, because that yeah. was obvious. The TV boom was also going to usurp bums on seats. Yeah, well, the TV boom was obvious to the point that it was underexploited as an opportunity, and the Premier League as a collective has done very well to to sell those rights. Right? And so, just to become know, the, the Premier League in the world. Yes, and to package it up and to and very smartly look for right sales in each market and split digital and TV and stuff like that. And they've, they've done that very well. And they, everyone was lucky. Everyone in the Premier League was fortunate that there was a fight between Sky and BT for internet like accounts and content was used as leverage in that. Right, so that that juiced the local market. And after that fight was over, TV rights you'll notice in the UK have not gone up. Right, so they've they've been flat for the previous round and rolled over this round, so they won't have gone up for six or seven years by the time this cycle comes to an end. Internationally, though, they're still headway, right? So they're still growing, but they're not growing in the way that the Glazers and FSG want, which was the ability to sell individual rights, both domestically. That's always a no because you have to get fourteen votes for that. Although they tried to, they tried to extract some concessions through Project Big Picture, and then the Super League, of course, was the one where not only were they carving off that money for themselves and excluding sort of the quote-unquote smaller clubs around Europe, but they were going to sell individual rights, starting with four per season, but almost certainly growing from there. And and I guess they didn't see the fact that, that um, because they got the indication from Boris Johnson that it would be okay, they didn't see that the football community itself would come against, out against that so strongly. And as soon as that was over, FSG put the Liverpool up for sale because there's no growth there. I mean, they've expanded the ground about as much as it can be. There's, I think there's a new, another 5,000 seats going into Anfield, but there's nothing else to grow. And that's true of United as well. And also, it's they had they, they happened upon on the pitch was a freak that they got caught at a time when they just smashed a succession of transfers. Yeah. But that's not sustainable. Well, really, clearly, it's they, not sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. And they presumably know that. Yeah. And and I mean, Bowley's group gives another indication of like where things may be going, because I think I'm right in saying they think they can 5x their investment, right? They think football clubs will become a, Chelsea will become a 10 billion pound club. And the only way that happens is pass, partially through growing the ground, but that's not enough, right? They're going to have to have a new Stamford Bridge, either on that site or somewhere else. Very, yeah, very the ground, the ground is not, the ground is not sorting yeah, that out. But because... mostly it's through rights. Yeah. And those rights have to be streaming either as a collective or individually. The individual one, I just can't see it. You, you're going to have to have 14 clubs in the Premier League vote for that, and it's just, it just feels impossible that that's going to be true. I mean, the only way you want to do it... streaming... No, but if you, if you centralise it... Streaming so, as a collective, like a Premflix. Yeah, so, yeah yes. so everyone can, everyone can buy to watch whatever team they want, and you still split the revenue equally. Yes. That would still be a lot more money for everyone. I think that's, that is the... That isn't. That is one bet. Yes, and whether it's the end of this cycle or the next cycle becomes part of that, one of the packages becomes a. I mean, it happened during lockdown, streaming. Well, it did, but it was all through Sky. 
right? And so Sky was doing it, or Sky Now TV, which is Sky subsidiary, were showing every game, right? So that 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 shows it can be done technically. And the, the question is the business model: Do you go through a partner or do you do it yourself? You do it yourself. You take all the revenue and you decide on the model: is it a monthly sub or is it okay, a per game? game. If you look at thing, or a season ticket for your favorite team or whatever, and um, and also once you're once we're getting kind of metaversy about that kind of stuff, there's going to be even more headroom in what you can charge because what you're going to be offering in terms of an experience is going to be really different to just sitting in front of the telly and watching it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Potentially, I did once when I used to do pieces on the the website. I did once write an April Fools about how. Disney had bought the club and they were going to put 3D screens in the back of every seat so people could watch the action in the metaverse or something. I didn't think I called it the metaverse. Anyway, yeah, it all, it all feels a bit ridiculous. You invented metaverse. the metaverse? Yeah, I did. Yeah, totes, 100%. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm claiming that one. Yeah, I think it's a ridiculous idea. I did notice actually an, another tangent, but that United are now uh, selling NFTs. They've learned something in that they are not pushing this as an asset that people can make money from, which is good because that's a scam. And the price for them is reasonable, if still ridiculous, 30 quid for a JPEG that I will be <laughs> screenshotting for free. <laughs> but at least it's not 600 or what some of, some of the other clubs are charging. So anyway, going off a tangent there. I don't think those kind of businesses are very big at the moment. I'm not expecting United or United's new owners to think that they're going to make bazillions out of the metaverse and NFTs. But individual rights sales for or collective streaming rights sales for TV could well increase. Yeah, I mean, if you think about, I remember I met the head of digital at the NBA and her idea was that 99% of NBA fans, probably more than 99%, will never, ever be able to go to it because there's a very limited number of tickets available. And so what do you do for sense. everyone else who likes who likes it? And if United truly do have 1.1 billion fans, the truth is they're not accessing very a very large percentage of those fans, even through all the sale of, of TV rights around the world to however many hundred countries that the Premier League is sold to. A streaming service that's accessible on like a phone in rural India reaches more reaches more people and probably has more appeal than if you look at like what how many Netflix subscribers are there? A couple hundred million? Premflix probably has more appeal than that. So yeah, there's nothing that crosses borders, cu- countries, cultures, sexualities, sexes, religions more than football. Yeah, well, except if you're, it's the World Cup and it's played in Qatar, where there some of those groups that you mentioned are excluded. As no, we no, found but, out. They, but, they, but but I they totally are, get what you're saying. But if they're interested, yeah. in, but if they no, because if they're interested yeah. in football. They might well still be watching it, so it's actually it's not it's not they're not excluded in that sense. Obviously, like the discrimination is appalling, and I'm not trying to make light of that in any way whatsoever. I'm just saying that football football is, is universal, n- yeah, for and, sure, and yeah. in a way that literally nothing else is. Yeah, yeah, nothing. I agree, I agree, and that's absolutely why. And, and we've had this debate before. That's absolutely why despots won a football club. And the only I wrote this last week. The only yeah. sub, sub, uh, the only surprise is that. It doesn't ha- hasn't happened that often with the World Cup that this is probably the fourth despotic World Cup. Mussolini in thirty four, the Germans in seventy eight, Putin in twenty eighteen, and this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So 
Yeah, the only surprise we'll, we'll have is... a nice little break in 26 where it's just about money because it's the US and everything's transactional. Yeah, well, and then and 30 will be well. in the Riyadh for the World Cup final. Thing. I think they're going to get away with that again. I mean, look, FIFA is a mafioso organization, right? It's run exactly like organized crime and they'll do whatever the hell they like until someone stops it. And the big push by the Justice Department in the US to arrest people for corruption has, what, what's the big prize there? Jack Warner's Jack going Warner. to get extradited. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Chuck Blazer did the decent thing and had a heart attack before he could be charged. And yeah, I mean, really, what happened? Not much. No. Platini got done for taking I also a wonder. Off. I also wonder if Qatar actually are regretting whether, like, this whole aggra- whether it's just an they might be. I mean, I know we're crossing over into the World Cup, but they've, certainly from the sport washing perspective, it hasn't worked. I think uh, if you go back and read the piece that Musa Congra wrote a couple of weeks ago, where he said it's already failed from a sport washing perspective, but then we from a geopolitical that, perspective, I think it's actually worked. That's what so, I'm saying. It's not. That's what I said to you a few weeks ago. That the more I thought about it. The less I felt like it was about sports washing, and the more I thought it was about money and power. Just it's having... about money and power, and it's about making sure that the Saudis don't invade, don't walk into Doha because they could do at any moment. And and the blockade that we saw between 2012 and 2017, or whatever it was, doesn't turn into a military invasion. That doesn't happen when one you have a US base on your soil, and two you have lots of friends around the world and lots of world leaders coming to your shiny stadiums, hotels, airport, and so on. And Qatar is now on the world map as the name and it's much harder to invade. I think literally there are those sort of strategic considerations at play. And also it's become more a show of regional power as in like the sports washing thing. If they'd have allowed, say, the rainbow armbands, that would be part of tribe sports wash. But what they actually went for was, nah, we're doing what we want. And that is more a show of power to the local countries that we're facing down this pressure to do what we want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And not only uh, coming back to United, that, that will be a question for a, for any regime that takes over. The It's a different world from when 2008, when City were taken over and 2010, was it? Or 11, when PSG are taken over. The internet now allows us like much greater informational access, even than from then, 10 years on. And I think the public are now educated. And we've seen with the World Cup, right? I, I think I've probably said this before, but when City got all that money... I was writing, and I'm embarrassed about this, that I just, I have so ignorant. I was writing about the money being anti-competitive and writing about salary caps and wage caps and all the rest of it and limits on the amount of players you could sign to try and preserve the competitive aspect because I didn't know about the extent of human rights abuses. But it would now be very difficult to follow football and you might decide that you don't care about it, but it would be almost impossible not to know about it. Yeah, yeah. Although there is another lesson in that uh, it's impossible not to know about it, but if you do it right, you still get, I mean, City get very positive PR as worked worked for them in that there is a shiny asset that Abu Dhabi uses to build links into markets and countries and a positive image. And the Qataris, although this World Cup has been a disaster for them from a sports washing perspective, from a sort of informational perspective, PSG hasn't been. They've used that platform very well. I mean, Lionel Messi is going to be in the very odd situation of having to support a Saudi bid and an Argentina bid for the 2030 World Cup and be on Qatar's payroll all at the same time. And there's um, also with PSG, there's the tie-up with Nike, for example, where they've become 
like that kind of affiliation of night where it's become part of like almost like the fashion yes. language yeah, of yeah. sport. Yes, they do. They do leverage that very well, and the kind of image of Paris as a cosmopolitan centre and a centre of fashion and style, and, and, and being somehow portrayed as the hero of the Super League of the Super League battle. And just amazing. Then being given the keys to UEFA as a consequence. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So th- they've run that project much better from a sports watching perspective. And it, it is kind of interesting how, uh, as you say, zero compromises have been made, basically. The very late decision on alcohol sales. And honestly, I couldn't care less about that. I think it's okay. If you're going to have a World Cup in a country where alcohol is prohibited it's okay that is not prohibited it's not prohibited is it no but (laughs) i mean look i haven't spent much time in doha in in abu dhabi and dubai prostitution and alcohol are very liberally available you just have to it has to be in the right spot and it's not public you know it has to be the right kind of person also i think Yeah. yeah and it's the point about the beer wasn't actually about the beer it was about the fact that we're just going to change the rules yeah, and could do, and FIFA yeah. caved. Yeah. yeah, we said we were going to be like this, but actually we were we changed, we were like it's going to be like that, and yeah. that reflects the relationship to power that those countries have, where yeah. the people in charge decide what they want when they want, and there's nothing that anyone can do about it, even FIFA. Yeah. All right, so a few we got a few minutes. Shall we? get onto the lovely subject of Naldo for a little bit. So covered covered United's potential sale and some issues around the World Cup. Backers will probably have a chat about World Cup games and Ronaldo. So chatted briefly with Tom last week about it and then in depth with Wayne, but he hadn't been sacked at that point or mutually terminated. It's, It's just incredible what does and doesn't make your position untenable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. For people who don't know what I'm talking about, look up Ronaldo de Spiegel. Yep. Read what you read yep. and draw your own conclusions exactly. as we have both done. As I said to Wayne on the last pod, I couldn't unread that. Once I'd read that deposition, it's impossible to it's impossible to not have heard what Ronaldo said in his own words. So, but yeah, that was perfectly okay with the club uh, and him taking on the Glazers, his teammates, uh, Wayne Rooney and Gary Neville, the chef, the swimming pool and everything else was definitely not acceptable. Um, although fair enough in a professional sports team it would be very hard for him to you know, it's just so hard into Carrington after that it's just so hard to get agitated about anything that he did subsequent to what we read about in the Spiegel ultimately I just sure. I just don't care no I'm I'm delighted he's gone I'm and delighted for, he's gone right so yeah. from a moral perspective I didn't want him to come in the first place yeah. from a footballing perspective I saw both sides as in at the time sure. I felt he was just going to be an upgrade on Cavani which he was, and yeah, I mean, it, because Cavani just wasn't there, so I was an upgrade on Cavani just by my just by my presence, I think. But but and also, even though he did probably he did affect the balance of the team, and he did also, I'm sure, affect the balance of the changing room. It was on its ass before he came. United were shit against Southampton and shit against Wolves at the beginning of last season. They were really good against Leeds, but one of the reasons I think they were really good against Leeds was because Leeds were just the perfect opponent who yep. played exactly as way United wanted to do, wanted them to, United picked them off. The next two games, United were nonsense. And then they continued to be so for the rest of the season. And I'm not blaming Maguire and Shaw and Wan-Bissaka's form on Ronaldo, much as I'd like to, I'm not. So the way I would see last season is even though 
having him made it impossible to play the kind of football that Ole wanted to play, maybe that Ralph wanted to play. If Ronaldo had not been there, we would not even be in the Europa League. And anyone that thinks to the contrary, I've no idea what you're talking about because United couldn't score any goals even with Ronaldo, who got 24 of them. Where were those 24 goals and some more goals coming from? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen back to what I'd said when you joined. Obviously, you had the long conversation about Catherine Maguire and all of that. And then I said, his numbers are still elite. He'll score lots of goals. United won't be able to press with him in the team, though. I was actually more bullish and more positive on him joining than I thought I was in retrospect. If I think about like how I felt of him, the reality of him being in the team, I've come to be much more negative about it probably more negative than you are because it's just been so disruptive i think the most sensible thing no no i i I totally i totally agree that he was the wrong player i'm just saying and without him it would have been worse that's all right 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 united should have done this in the summer they should have said look we're bringing in ten Hag. there's absolutely no way this is a fit they should have just mutually terminated at that but, point. Well, what actually? So, we don't really know what happened there because he he tried to terminate it. We don't, and I just can't imagine that Ten Hag wanted Tim Perrault from either. So it's no, no, I'm sure. I, I, but I don't. And like he wanted out. The clear out was okay. Go, you can go for free. Find a club, and maybe that's the answer. He couldn't find a club, or he was asking for money because it seems clear that he hasn't had a payoff. Uh, we'll never find out because it would be buried in the wages anyway. But it seems like he's gone without a payoff. That was the answer in the summer. And it would have been much less disruptive for him and Ten Hag. As it is, Ten Hag has won, right? He won the bat- the power battle. He won the power battle over both Ronaldo and Ronaldo's commercial interests and value to the club. And that's good for Ten Hag. It also means he has to deliver, but I think we probably think he will do. But he has, to deliver, he has to deliver anyway. He has question, to deliver anyway. The question yeah. now is whether... He spends. He gets money to spend because we're yeah. saving close to half, million half a million, half yeah. a million quid every week. Yeah, on Ronaldo. My my sense is actually, in a way, I mean, obviously, I want the ideal thing that happens is United go and buy the best possible centre forward in January. Yeah, but I'd much rather they didn't buy anyone than they bought a dickhead. Just yeah, to... and I couldn't give you that name. I mean, it looks like the deal for Nkunku has definitely been done by Chelsea, so he's off the table. And the rest of the like good Nkunku, strikers in Europe. I mean, I'm t- and I think Nkunku, I'm told, is brilliant. Yeah, and I mean, I've seen a bit of him myself, and he looks a yeah. player. I haven't, yeah. but I've told by people who've seen him a lot, a lot more than I have that he's brilliant. That doesn't necessarily mean he's the right player. No, because sure. I feel I mean, like Tino Werner scored thirty odd goals before he moved to Chelsea, and he turned out to be bobbing. So it's uh, also I think that the centre forward that United by needs to be someone who's going to score a lot of goals. Yeah, because there aren't necessarily enough goals coming from elsewhere, and that that isn't at the moment in Kanku anyway. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so yes, I don't have a I don't have an answer there. What is the right answer for United? And it, it's unlikely to happen straight after the World Cup in January. We United traditionally don't do really big mega deals anyway. So it it may well be that United are going to try and muddle through with Marcy and Rashford and Garnacho and Anthony for the rest of the season. I guess I would prefer that to spending 40 million quid on someone who's not going to be a first choice. Yeah, yeah. I noticed Cody Gatko, whose price is going up by the week, scored a nice goal for the Netherlands. Headed goal. Started at number 10, though. It's an interesting choice. You know? He, I mean, unless, unless the plan is to convert him into a centre-forward, 
and who knows how good that would be or how, how much that very would work. Yeah. yeah, the last thing we need is another left winger. Yeah. And Martial, although managed to get himself fit just in time for no games, wasn't even called up to the France squad when they had two <laughs> they injuries to their main strikers. nominations. Yeah, exactly. They, they, they've only got 25 players in the squad. And that's how much Deschamps rates him. In uh, fairness, Deschamps is a clown. So there is also yeah. that. I, I mean, the first iteration of the France team, France 1-4-1, the first iteration I saw had five defenders and two holding midfielders. It, in the end, Dembele played, which was a good choice because he was, he was pretty good in that game. And they looked very strong despite all their injuries. But yeah, Deschamps, they look surely strong, this is his last World Cup. He's so much talent for such a boring team. That's the thing is that they're good in spite of him, not because of him. They're good because they've yeah. got good players. And we even watching him last night. It was much more about them getting the ball to Mbappe than it was about this is how they're going to play. And it doesn't look like their midfield is going to be good enough, I don't think, to win the World Cup. I mean, I'm just watching Spain now as we're talking. and I think that, yeah, Spain, I think Spain would beat France because I think Spain, France... you started the game with three defenders, seven midfielders and no forwards. That's, uh, they don't is... have a striker and that yeah. might catch, that might cost them in the end. But they're just still so difficult to beat because beating anyone when you have 30% possession or whatever is extremely difficult. And they were very unlucky to get beat when they took it. It was Italy that beat them in Euros. Yeah. When Spain, I thought, were the better team in that game. Yeah, yeah. Penalties, wasn't it? They just scored again now, 6-0. All right, Spain, as we record, a 6-0 up. Looking very strong, amazing. Thought they wouldn't score any goals because they haven't got any forwards, but apparently that's uh, not... Well, it's one of those things. Against a team like Costa Rica, it matters a lot less because the movement can be so good. But when the defences are a bit better, having someone who's in the middle, whose job it is to score, is much more useful than it is in, in in this kind of fixture. But it's... Yeah, I mean... Germany are in trouble because Japan are going to beat Costa Rica as well. Yeah. And then Germany are going to have to beat Spain. Yep. And they won't, probably. Uh, Seeing first round of fixtures. We'll talk about that more in the backers' continent. I think we'll probably do like a first round of fixtures roundup at the weekend or something like that. Thanks very much for listening. Let's, uh, Let's hope the sale moves fast. I noticed that Must put out a statement basically saying, think about the legacy, think about what's right for United and do this quickly. Uh, the thinking about the legacy is not going to happen. Doing this quickly might do. Just depends on number of interested parties. I mean, we saw with Chelsea, that happened very quickly. And it's not like there was a discount on their real value either. So it could it could happen before the end of the season. Please.